Praise God for that incredible love that reaches out for us. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of James, chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, well, to the one who is poor you say, stand there or sit at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but if you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you, O oh Lord, for the worship time and for being able to partake of your table. We just thank you, O oh Lord, for your church, for we continue to proclaim the gospel of Christ every single week. We ask now, O oh Lord, that you will speak to each and every one of us through this word as it is proclaimed. Just give me your thoughts to be my own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Welcome, criminals. You didn't know I was going to call you a criminal today, right? You see, the word criminal means lawbreaker. And according to our scripture today, we are all lawbreakers. Because we're all sinners. The only difference between us and other criminals is that we have been redeemed from our crimes, right? The scripture that we read from today comes from the book of James. James is writing 
to the Jewish Christians that are in the diaspora. They have left the area of Jerusalem, and they have gone out to all parts of the Roman Empire and the known world, and they have gone to these towns where they are now the minority. Most of these towns are Gentile towns full of Greeks and Romans and other ethnic groups who have emperor worship, other religions, all kinds of practices. And in these cities, these Jewish Christians are trying to establish themselves as the people of God. And as we've many letters of the New Testament, the letter of James seems to be written to respond to reports of things that are going on out there in the church. So James has heard that in some of these groups, when they're meeting, they're showing favoritism. And he writes them directly. He says, do you think these acts of favoritism, particularly in these cases towards the rich, really show your faith? In Jesus Christ. He says, do you really think that this is what Jesus would do, is what he's saying, right? Do you really think that this is the way our faith tells us that we should show hospitality? For you see, in showing the favoritism, they were giving the best seats to those who were wealthy, those coming in finely dressed, wearing their gold rings, ready for everybody to see them. And these people were getting the front seats. You see, you can tell a lot by where you sit, right? Think about this. If you go to a big stadium, which seats are the most expensive? The ones up close. Those are the ones that are more expensive. Those are the more valued seats. Which seats do I get? The nosebleed seats. You know, the ones way up there where you can still see the game if you have binoculars. And those are usually called the what? The cheap seats. Why? Because the people that don't have the big bucks to buy the close-up seats, those are the ones that they buy. Well, things haven't changed that much because ever since the ancient times, people have been valuing each other based on where they sit. And in James' time, this was true in the gathering of these Christians. He basically is here that when they get together as the body of Christ to celebrate their gathering and services, that when somebody with wealth comes in, they immediately escort that person to the best seats in the house. And that when somebody who is a little dirty and dingy and not so well-dressed comes... They sometimes don't even let them sit down. They say, stand over there. Hopefully far enough that I can't smell you. Sometimes even outside so you can hear through a window. This is how bad things have gotten that some of these people are even being told to sit on the floor. Now, I just want you to think about what that would make you feel like if you walked into the sanctuary and I said, no, 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 no. Uh, we're saving these pews for the other people. You go sit outside on the floor, and you can hear through the door. 
How would that make you feel? Would that make you feel like you belonged? Would that make you feel like you were a part of the group? Would that make you feel like God wants you here? Because but James is saying this is not the way God would want you to do it because it doesn't show the favor of God that has been given to every single person who calls on the name of Jesus. And it doesn't matter like we learned in the children's time whether you're old or young, skinny or, or heavier, uh, old, you know, wrinkled or not wrinkled, white or black, Hispanic, Latino, Asian. It doesn't matter. What matters is that we share in one common faith in Jesus Christ. And so James says, if we show this partiality, we actually commit sin. We become breakers of the law. And where does he get this? He's, well, he specifically quotes one particular law that we are all familiar with. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Isn't that one of the two that Jesus quoted, right? What was the other one? Love God and love neighbor. Those were the two major ones. Jesus even said, if you fulfill these two, you'll fulfill the rest. If you love God and if you love neighbor, you'll get them all done because this is the basis of the law. But if you are not loving your neighbor, then that makes you a transgressor. It makes you accountable for the whole law. It makes you a criminal. Yes, a sinner, a criminal. If you've ever gotten a parking ticket and had to go to traffic court, you know that you're in the courtroom and everybody there has different charges. But they're all transgressors of the law. And what really blows your mind sometimes is when you're sitting there with your little traffic ticket and they walk somebody in with an orange jumpsuit and chains because they got like a more serious charge like a DUI or something more serious and they, they're coming in for their charge. And what James was saying is every single one of those people that are there to present charges Every one of them is a lawbreaker. You are all lawbreakers. And when it comes to God, it doesn't matter whether you think it's a minor offense or a major offense. He says if you break the law in one part, you've broken it all. The only difference we know is the consequences of breaking the law, right? If you get a traffic ticket, you got a fine, right? You get a DUI, you got a bigger fine. If you caused an accident with death, you could end up in jail. So we know that there's degrees of breaking the law when it comes to our legal system. But when it comes to the law of God, if we've breaking, broken one part of it, he says we've broken it all. And that makes us lawbreakers. So he says, you know, that rich person walking in, that poor person walking in, they both need the forgiveness of God equally because we are all sinners in need of redemption. 
So he wants us to be aware that we are lawbreakers, that we can't do this without following the law, that, that it's hard for us to do it, and that we are going to mess up, and that when we mess up, we all have to come to the same source of forgiveness, which is Jesus Christ. And then he warns us not to be too harsh with each other. You know, we can be the worst judges when it comes to other people. He says, those who don't show mercy when they judge will be judged without mercy. And Jesus said it like this in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. He was saying basically in the way that you forgive others, in the way that you treat others, you will be treated. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Because sometimes we don't treat each other the way we should. We can be pretty harsh, sometimes even with ourselves. And we have all done that. We have all looked at that person in the orange jumpsuit and said, I'm glad I'm not them. And in that moment, we thought we were better than them, and we judged them. James wants us to remember that God established the law for our benefit and that we need to keep all of it, not just some of it, not the part we like, not the part we choose, not the part that's easiest for us, but all of it. It's similar to how we are supposed to take all of Scripture and apply it to our lives, not just the parts that are easy to apply, not the parts that we like only, but all of Scripture. Because let me tell you, there are some parts in there that are uncomfortable to deal with and difficult to understand, yet we cannot dismiss them because they're part of God's revelation to us. James tells them that if they say they have faith, but they're showing favoritism to some and not others, then their faith is actually dead. He says, can you have faith that saves you if you're not doing anything for your brother or sister who is in need? And he gives us that real life situation. If your brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food and, and you just tell them, hey, go, go in peace and be, be filled, but you do nothing to provide for their needs, then can your faith really save you? And normally when we ask the question, can faith save you? We want to say yes, because we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, aren't we? So when we talk about faith, we want to say, yeah, faith can save us. But James's point is, is faith really faith if that faith doesn't move you to love your neighbor and to love God? Is that faith really genuine faith if you see somebody in need and don't do anything and don't offer anything to help them? You know, we have a word for this, cheap grace, cheap faith. When you claim to believe, yet your faith does not move you into action, then you have to really question whether you have faith. A living faith is what we want, not a dead faith. A faith that moves us to do for those 
who need help. When you look at that and you realize that every one of us is called to give of what we have, our time, our money, our resources, our prayers, our support, then you understand why we do what we do in ministry as a church. Why do we support backpack buddies making food bags for kids at the school? It's because we care about children going hungry and we think that there's a need that we are called to supply. Why do we support Bucket Christian Ministries? Because we know that there are people that are experiencing homelessness, people that are experiencing lack of food and lack of clothing, and we know that we might not have the ability in our own organization to screen everybody and get the help to the right people, but these organizations can. And so we put our resources there. Why do we send money to UMCOR? Because I might not be able to go help a hurricane victim right now. But I know that doesn't mean they don't need help, right? And I know that I have responsibility as a Christian to show them God's love. You see, when we look at the ministries that we do here and abroad, with our missionaries overseas, with all the things that we support in ministry, Every single one of them is done because we believe that our faith must be accompanied by works. It must be accompanied by resources. It must be accompanied by action. It must be accompanied by conviction. The Christian faith always has been and always will be a call to action from God. Always. What did Jesus tell his disciples? Deny yourself, take up that cross, and follow me. That's action, folks. That's leaving the comfort of where you are to go to a life of sacrifice for Jesus, for the cause of the kingdom. And that's not always comfortable, and that's not always easy, but it's the right thing to do. The Christian faith calls us and requires us to love our neighbors, the ones we like, don't like, the ones that like us and don't like us, and the ones that are like us and they're not like us, everybody. The gospel challenges us to love our neighbors and not just love them, love them as we love ourselves. Because Jesus knew that by putting that requirement in there, we weren't going to say, oh, I love them a little bit. I'm done. I gave them a little love. No, he says, as you love yourself, because God knew that if you love them as you love yourself, you'll love them more intensely. The law requires us to do these things, but it's the law of liberty the law that gives us the freedom to share the love of Christ with others through our lives. That's why it's not the law as in this, when we think about the law of the Old Testament with its rigidness and lack of spirit, but rather the law of liberty calls us to give ourselves to others 
for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God invites us to do things like tithe, which requires a willingness to trust God with our money and our resources. Trust that if we give God a tithe, a tenth of what we have, somehow, some way, he will make the other 90% be more than enough. And if you don't believe that the tithe is an act of faith, try it, and you'll discover that it is. Because there are times when the math will not add up. You're like, if I tithe, I can't pay this or that by the end of the month. And you have a choice to make. And if you tithe, I'm telling you, God finds a way to supply that need. And you end up making the month. And you don't even know how you did it. Because it was God. Fulfilling the law is an act of faith as well because we are relying on God's mercy because we know that we're not good enough to fulfill it completely on our own. We're giving it our best and we're doing our best, but at the end of the day, we rely on the mercy of God. And in the same way, every person that is in that box of crayons is relying on the same grace of Jesus Christ. We're all on the same boat. And sometimes we act like there's a VIP cabin in some part of the boat. And then there's the lower galleys, when the reality is that we're all equally, radically equally the same before God. So let's make sure that our faith is not dead. Let's make sure that we are being as he told us last week, doers of the word and not just merely hearers of the word. Let's make sure that we're putting our money, our time, our energy, and our faith where he calls us to put it. Soon, some of you will be asked to serve on church committees for the coming year. This is a commitment of your time, your energy, for the work of the church, the expansion of the kingdom, and the ministry of Jesus Christ. I pray that you will accept the nomination that you're given to exercise your faith through service, through the giving of yourself to the kingdom of God and the kingdom work that is before us. Now hear me, these are challenging times. These are difficult times in which to ask anybody to do anything extra, right? But that is what we are called to do when it comes to the kingdom of God. To not just give, but to give above and beyond that which we think we are capable of. With God's help, we will have a wonderful 2022 year of ministry I pray that those that are nominated take on the mantle of leadership and continue this great ministry so that more people in person and online can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you, O Lord, because you invite us to, to so many things, Lord. You invite us to a new life.
You invite us to commitment. You invite us to surrender. We ask, O oh Lord, on this day that you will continue to help us to not show favoritism with each other, but to continue, O oh Lord, to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to remain united as your people, as your church, so that the world will get a wonderful testimony of your love through us. And, O oh Lord, let our ministry in all of its forms and in all of its facets Reflect the love of Christ for even the least of these. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.